In preparation for this podcast, I did something I've never done before. Something I never thought I would do. I held an alligator. Not a giant bite-my-leg-off kind of alligator. It was about three feet long from nose to tail. His snout was banded closed, and yes, I was a little hesitant to do it. And how did this come to be? Well, I went to visit the Arkansas Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo right here in Hot Springs. Then, by the way, I gave the alligator right back. So I guess we'll call this the See You Later Alligator episode of Hot Springs This Week. Hot Springs This Week, a look at things to do and people to meet in Hot Springs, America's first resort. Hello and welcome to Hot Springs This Week. I'm Neil Gladner, and in every episode of this podcast, we try to talk to someone who helps make Hot Springs an interesting place to live or visit. Thanks for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. I appreciate your help in the way this podcast is growing. We now have listeners in 30 states and four countries outside the U.S., There are plenty of fun things to do as we get into the holiday season here in Hot Springs. Jen Bailey and I will run those things down for you a little later in this episode. But first, let's meet a man who shares his most unusual pet collection with anyone who wants to come to his business. Jamie Bridges is the third-generation operator of the Arkansas Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo, a family business here in Hot Springs. If you visit, you'll find more than just alligators. They also have soft, furry rabbits. You'll find peacocks and wolves. And no, they don't keep the rabbits anywhere near the alligators, nor do they keep the peacocks all that close to the wolves. Again, it's a fascinating place, and there's no question the draw is the alligators. So, Please meet Jamie Bridges. Jamie, the Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo is a family operation, and I want to get into the history a little bit. But first, lay out what's here. Let's obviously start with alligators because that gets the most attention. Tell me about your alligators. We have exactly right now 134 alligators because I just did a count for the Game and Fish. I have to give them a report every month. And of those gators, we probably have probably about 20 that are probably 12 to 18 inches long. Then our next pond's probably got them from about two foot to three and a half foot. We've got about 13 in there. And then we go on up. We go up to the size of a little over 10 foot. And we have five different ponds they're in because you do have to put gators in pond by sizes. Because if it's the summertime and it's hot and they're hungry and there's a little gator by a big gator, there will be no more little gators because they will eat their own when they're hungry. So we do have to keep them in pen by their sizes. But... Really, the alligators are the big thing that bring people here, but we have a lot of other animals also. I was surprised. I didn't know that alligators hibernated. Well, you were kind enough to take me on a tour, and their eyes are open, but they're going into hibernation? Hibernation isn't a complete deep sleep. Their body temperature drops. When their body temperature drops, that's what cold-blooded means, they're cold-blooded. It drops to the temperature of the environment. Their metabolism slows down. Heart rate slows down. They go in a state of hibernation. Now, during that state, they're not asleep, but their heart rate slows down so much. In the wild, they hibernate in the water. They waller out holes up in mud banks. They call them gator holes. There may be five or six gators in a gator hole. And they'll just stay down in that water when it's cold. Because if it's like if you've been outside before and say it's 25 degrees, you stick your hand in a water somewhere, it feels warm to you because the water's probably 40, 45. So that's where they'll hibernate when it's cold. 
They'll stay in that gator hole for hours. Nobody knows how long they can hold their breath. They just stick their nose up out of the gator hole, get some air, go right back down. I've seen pictures, I wish I had it with me, of gators where they're hibernating. It got so cold, the water froze over. The gators have their nose stuck out of the ice. The ice is frozen around their nose. They just stay like that, breathing when they need to. Do they eat at all when they're in this state? They eat nothing. We move ours in a building to hibernate around the middle of October. I just moved them last week. And during that time, they will eat nothing. They quit eating about two weeks ago here. Now, they won't start eating again till May. I move them out like the middle of April, depending on the weather. It all has to do with temperature. When it starts warming up in April, I open those double doors back there. And if they start piling up at the gate, I know they want to go out. So I just leave them in until they start piling up at the gate. Then we drag them out. When they're eating, what do you feed them? We feed them chicken primarily, but they do get some fish because I like to fish a lot. And a fish called a jackfish or pickerel that really aren't good to eat, I can catch a lot of them sometime and I'll feed them them. But other than that, they get chicken. But we do have vitamin we put on their chicken. And we also have some gator pellets, we call them, that we feed them that's very good for them. What's the lifespan of a gator? Here, a lifespan, a gator to live 60 years is a long time. But they can live up to 60 years, okay? Now, a ga- people always ask me how old they are. The only way I can tell you how old a gator is, if I've kept him on this farm and from the time we got him till he's so big. Because you can't go by size. Because gators down in South Louisiana and South Florida... They're only going to hibernate maybe two or three months at the most. It's warmer. They're going to feed eight to nine months a year. Gator here is going to feed three or four months a year. Down in South Florida, South Louisiana, they're going to grow a lot faster because they feed a lot more during the year. I mean, I could keep this building there in 90 degrees and feed them year-round, and I can grow some big old gators, but I'm going to let them hibernate. Our business slows in the winter. Our food bill goes down in the winter. So it works out pretty good. So how big... Will a gator get here left to his own devices? Is his size regulated only by food, or is it also regulated by his habitat? It is more by food than habitat. So a gator here, we used to have when I was a kid, some 13, 14-footers, which is big gator. And that, that generation is passed on, you know what I mean? We're probably on our third generation of gators because the farm's been here since 1900s, okay? So we're a lot of these are third-generation gators. So if hopefully we'll get some 13, 14 footers. We have two out there right now, a little over 10. That's our biggest one. So tell me about your gator education. Did you, did you learn all about gators here, working here with your dad? Yes. When I was a kid growing up, you know, I look back. You got the park down here below the farm, the creek. I'd come up here to work with my mom or something in the summer, and I'd be in that creek all day playing, come up here, eat lunch, go back and play. You know, back then, your kids could go play wherever they wanted to. Nowadays, I got grandkids. Would I let him go down there and play in the creek for three hours by himself? No, you can't do that now, which times have changed. That's what I did. And back when I was a kid, we used to sell little gators. For $5, you could buy a little gator about six inches long and put them in a box, and they'd, people would take them off. Well, when my dad wasn't watching, I'd grab a couple of them little gators, and I'd go down there the creek and play with them. And I never told my dad this, but I did lose a gator or two down in the creek. I didn't find it. But at that size, it's really small. It probably didn't make it. Something probably got it, you know. But still, anyway, I've been playing with gators since I was old enough to, you know, to really walk just about. Been around mama life and listening to my dad, stories my dad tells, and reading about them myself, you know. I've come to know quite a bit about alligators. Gotta ask. Ever been bitten? 
I've been nicked several times, bitten once, pretty good. I got bit on my arm. I got 36 stitches in my arm. I was very lucky. It happened 11 years ago. I was feeding the big gators in the big pond. About a nine-foot gator was looking up at the guy feeding on the dock. When I do a feed show in the summertime when it's hot, they get in a feeding frenzy. And I have one guy feeding off the dock. And I get out there and feed by hand. It keeps a few of them off of me. Well, I was going back to the dock to get some more chicken to feed. And the gator was looking up at the guy feeding at the dock. But there's a piece of chicken on the ground by his left front foot. A little boy said, hey, you dropped a piece of chicken there. And the chicken was by the gator's left front foot. The gator's looking up on the dock to the guy to feed him up from the dock. So I'm going to reach down and get it. I've done it before. I've done it. I'm reaching down to get the chicken. I'm watching the gator so much, I missed the chicken. Okay? If he'd have swung at me then, I was ready. But when I missed the chicken, he didn't move. Guess what I thought? He's not watching me. He's not paying me no attention. So I go back to get the chicken. I take my eyes off of him. As soon as I touched the chicken, he swung, grabbed my arm, felt like somebody slammed my arm in a car door with teeth. And I knew what he's going to do. When a gator grabs something too big to swallow, they do the death row. They spin and rip. Gators don't chew food. They swallow it whole. Their teeth are used for grabbing and ripping. So as he grabbed my arm, I didn't know how good he had me, so I lifted him up about two feet. It's called adrenaline. I took my right arm and I tried to hug him to keep him from spinning. As I was trying to grab him, he spun. And thank goodness, he only had me with the front of his mouth. His teeth ripped through my arm. I got 36 stitches and nerve damage. Done in my arm because my hand's numb now. I don't feel anything in it, but it does work. I was very lucky. So that's the worst I've been bit. And that a guy happened to video that on his cell phone because I'm going to the truck. My brother Jerry out there that's working today with me, he helps me to the truck because by the time I got down here, the drilling wore off and I was about to, I was getting wobbly. Yeah. And as he's helping me to the truck, a guy walks up and sticks a phone in my face and said, Hey, I got that on video. And at the time I couldn't talk real guy said, Send me a copy. You know, and that's all I said. And I forgot about it. Two months later, I didn't forgot about it. I get a DVD in the mail that says alligator accident. So I can't wait to stick it in there and watch it. And I watched it. It showed me feeding, showed me getting bit. Anyway, Animal Planet found out about it. They called me. One put me on TV. So they came and interviewed me. I gave them a copy of the tape. But before they could put it on, they had to get permission from the guy that videoed it. So I gave him his number. They gave me $300, okay? My doctor bill was $700, so I didn't make no money. But anyway, I gave him the number to the guy that videoed it. They call him. They're talking back and forth, but I can't hear what they're saying. I don't know what they're talking about. Finally, he goes, he wants to talk to you. So I get on the phone. I said, hey. He goes, well, you go be on TV. I said, well, thanks. He said, what they pay you? I said, they gave me $300. He goes, that's what they offered me. I got them up to 1000 I said, well, I didn't know you were supposed to negotiate. Anyway, the guy that vetoed it got $1,000. I got 300 And the doctor bill. And the doctor bill. So I didn't make any money. But anyway, that's the worst I've been bit. I've been nicked several times. That's the only time I've been really grabbed. But uh, my dad has a similar story. He got bit when he was in about 45. And one bit his hand. He had to rip his mouth through his hand. and got 30 stitches in his hand. But in his bite, two weeks later, he had to go back. And they had to lance it and clean it out again because it got infected. They didn't clean it good. And I told him that story when I went to the doctor, to the emergency room. So they gave shots all in my arm, and they scrubbed it like a washboard. But they did a good job because I didn't have to go back. Jamie, what i, I got to ask, your dad had been bit. What, what made you decide you wanted to follow in the family footsteps and do this? I've been feeding him since I was in college. You know, I just made a mistake, let my guard down. You know what I mean? I let my guard down a little bit, and uh, it happens. When you've been around something all your life, you lose a little respect, you know. 
after I got bit, I'll show you a video of me getting bit. You'll see the docks we fed on. They weren't very big. After I got bit, I made bigger and better docks. So it did re re revamp me a little. And bit. probably didn't pick up chicken that you dropped. That's right. I just let them pick it up because they will eventually get it if I leave it there. How, how much do you have to feed a gator? How many in pounds of chicken? I mean, how much do they eat a day? Well, it's not a day. We feed on Thursday, Saturday, Sunday at 12 noon here. We do three feedings a week. And people know that. And we get a big crowd here for a feed day. But what we'll do, July and August, when it's really hot, I'm feeding it probably about 250 pounds a week. That's in three feedings. So I'll feed about 90 pounds a day. Um, amongst all the gators. Amongst all the gators, yes. Now, that's the gators outside. Uh, we've got 134, and we've got uh, probably... 34, no, about 40 inside. Those are separate. So I'm going to say that leaves us about 94 outside that we feed that much white, that much chicken to. And then what's, what's the growth ratio? In other words, from when you get them small, how long before they're six or eight feet? For here to be six or eight feet, because I say they only feed about three or four months a year, it's going to take six, eight feet. It's going to take about... 20 to 30, probably about 25 to 35 years. They grow slow because, like I say, they only feed three months a year. Now, the little ones inside that you saw got to holding stuff, for $5, people can feed them two pieces of meat on a stick. They like doing that. And the only reason they eat during the winter, even though they don't eat real good, is because we got heat lamps on them. Those heat lamps warm up the little ones enough to keep them eating. I don't try to warm up the big ones. It takes too much heat. And I just let them sleep it off. So some of these gators that have been here a long time. Yes, they have. We have some out there that have been here. Those 10-footers have been here at least 50 years. So there's a sign inside where the gators are hibernating right now that talks about the difference between an alligator and a crocodile. Now, do you have any crocs here? We don't have any crocs, but we do have two dwarf caiman. They're South American dwarf caiman, which are very close to the crocodile. Their snout's more pointed. That's how you can tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile. Their nose. An alligator's mouth is rounded. A croc's mouth is pointed. A croc has more teeth. And when they bite down, they're sticking out in all directions. A croc has about 3,000 pounds of force to bite down. A gator has about 2,000 pounds of force to bite down. And a croc, I couldn't go in there and feed like I do gators. Crocs are meaner, badder. They're just aggressive. And you can't get in there and walk around them like you can gators and so forth. They just have a bad attitude. So gators here live their entire life here then, from the time you get them. We're like a sanctuary for gators, and we do get some from the game and fish periodically if they get from somebody that's not supposed to have it. Just like the two dwarf caiman we have, we got those from the game and fish. They asked if I'd take them because they confiscated them from somebody that wasn't supposed to have them. So when you take on a new species, do you have to educate yourself on that species? Yes, I do. I mean, like we've got these, I've got, we've been put up on the wall out here. We've got a sign for dwarf, South American dwarf caiman that people can read about them. We didn't put, when we got those, we read up on it. My wife says, we need to put that up. So we put it up on the wall because we try to be an educational facility too for people. So Jamie, how, how often does it happen where Game and Fish calls you and say, hey, we, we found somebody who's got some gators they shouldn't have. Will you take them? Is that a, is that a regular occurrence? I'd say it averages to about once every year and a half that we'll get some from them. And sometimes maybe sooner than that, but sometimes maybe a little longer. I had to start with the gators, but let's go back to the history. This started, your great-grandfather bought it from someone? My great-grandfather bought it from someone in 1947. He passed away when I was three, so I didn't really know him. 
But then in 1965, my dad got it from his mother. And my dad passed away three years ago, and he left it to me, my brother, and my sister. Well, since I live in town, I, me and my wife run it. My wife Susie and myself run it. I take care of most of the animals. She takes care of all the paperwork and all that. Without her, I couldn't do it. <laughs> but uh, then I have a brother named Jerry Bridges that lives in Cabot that comes up and works anywhere from three to four days a week. He's got a houseboat on Lake Washita where he'll stay when he comes up here. Then my sister lives in Mountain Home. She owns her own business. And uh, she just says, give me the dividend check at the end of the year. I'm fine. And uh, But her son just started working for us here recently. So uh, we it's a family affair. Like you can see, everybody up here is kin. I do have one full-time employee that's not family. Then I hire two or three people in the summer, some high school kids usually to help us out. So when, when you're busy, especially on feeding days, what... How many people will come through on an average day? I mean, you've been here so long. You get you get pretty iconic place here. It is. We get in the summertime. We'll get anywhere from four to seven hundred people come through here and on a feed day. We have a good feed day. We can have four to seven hundred people. I mean, it, it's a good business. A little extra money to add to your retirement. And we all love animals. And if you don't love animals, you don't want to work here. And that's the first thing I do when I talk to kids. I say, if you can't handle, if you can't handle clean up poop, and you don't like animals. You don't need to work here. And I've been so lucky. Everybody that comes up here that we've hired, I make sure they love animals first. They don't mind cleaning. And we've had some good summer help up here, some good high school kids that come up here. I usually go to my FFA at Lake Hamilton or Lakeside or something like you know, and I'll say, you got any kids that love animals that want a good summer job? And usually the kids come up here, they say, I want to come back next year. And I say, you, you, you're welcome to come back next year. And then, of course, some of them go to college. And they still want to come work in the summers. And uh, so I get a lot of repeat help. If I conferred with the furry friends, man for animal, think of the amazing repartee. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals, and they could talk to me. It's an animal and uh, alligator and petting zoo. And so... Obviously, a lot of the focus is on the uh, the alligators, but you've got you've got monkeys. You've got uh, talk about just kind of run through the all the species that are here. Right. I mean, we we when people come here first, we tell them we want to go to the petting zoo, and everybody gets a piece of bread, only wheat bread. It's good for them, not white bread. Wheat bread on it, but they'll get some wheat bread and they'll go over there, and we have goat, sheep, donkeys, and emus, and we ask them to feed them all through the fence first. You just walk down there, breaking up little pieces of bread, feed them through the fence. Now, once they feed them through the fence, we let them go in the goat pen, and they get to pet the goats. And the goats will get in their lap, and, I mean, they just love people. And they'll get in their lap, and they'll pet them. Kids love that more than anything. They'll stay in that goat pen for 30 minutes with a little goat sitting on their lap and petting it and so forth. We don't let them take bread in the goat pen because the goats love the bread. If you take bread in there, they're not trying to hurt you, but they jump on you for the bread, and that scares little kids. That's why I don't let them go in until they get rid of their bread. But they'll stay in there for 30 minutes. Then we have a couple of little big old bunny rabbits. And kids go in there and love to pet them. They love that. Then when they go in our building where we keep our little gators all year that don't go outside ever until they get us four foot long, everybody gets to hold a little gator. And we put a rubber band around one's mouth. And we'll let them hold it. Some of them are scared to hold it. Then we hold it and they get to rub on it and pet it because they want to touch it. And they get the pictures made holding a gator. Then for $5 extra, they can feed a little gator hot dog on a stick, we call it. We cut off a little piece of hot dog, put it on a stick, and they get to hold over there. In the summertime, when it's hot, they'll jump up and grab it. Right now, they'll just, you got to put it by their nose and they'll grab it because they're not as active. 
but kids love doing that too. Then, of course, we have monkeys, lemurs, vervets. Uh, we have some land turtles that kids can pet. They're very friendly. Uh, have two timber wolf, have a timber wolf and an arctic wolf that if they like you, they like you. They like me and my brother and our workers, but I can't let other people go in there because sometimes, you know, you just can't take a chance. And we have a mountain lion named Tio. That's a, she's about 11 years old. We've had her for three years and she's lovable. I mean, we rub on her every day. I saw you go in that pen and, and play with her a little bit. And I mean, she's like a, with you at least, she's like a giant house cat. And I mean giant. She's a big old house cat. You're right. That's what she's like. And we, we, we have contact with our animals every day. Like our monkeys too. We go in there. We give them treats every day. They know us and this and that. And we rub on the ones that want to be rubbed on. The vervets are a little standoffish. They want to, they take the food from you, but if they, they, some animals are like this. They think you're putting your hands on them. They think you're going to grab them and they'll get scared. So we let them know. The other two monkeys we have, we can pet on and do all that too. But we have interaction with our animals every day. Then we have a people, you know, I take all these animals for granted. I've been around them all my life. But it's hard to believe nowadays how many kids have never seen all this. Never got to pet a goat. Never got to feed anything. And then we have some turkey and some peacocks. In the summertime, the peacocks are beautiful. They've lost all their feathers now. But we got... When they open those feathers up and all those beautiful eyes are looking at you, I mean, that's that's really nice in the summertime. People love that. And you hear the turkey strutting over there. Then we have some silky chickens we have and uh, different types of ducks. We got mandarin ducks that are just beautiful. I mean, they're really beautiful. And loggerhead turtles. We have one that's over 100 years old. We have three. One's over 100 years old. And uh, all three of those turtles, I'm 63. They've been here my whole life. So that one's way over 100, and the others are probably 60 or 70. I saw them as well. Are they are they hibernating now as well? They're cold blooded also. All your cold blooded animals don't eat during the wintertime. And we that's why all those animals you saw in the building today, they'll all be outside except the little gators in the front two ponds. That's the only ones that stay in during the summertime. So is a I gotta wonder, is a hundred year old turtle slower than a thirty year old turtle? No. That that's the male. The two smaller ones are females. And I feed them fish sometime, and they love fish, okay? And one day I fed them all some fish, and the big boy done ate his, and one of the little ones still had a piece hanging out of his mouth, and they're in the outdoor pond. It looked like a horse race. This guy, the smaller turtle swimming around, and it's big, and big boy chasing him. Finally, after about two laps, I'm watching it, the little turtle dropped the fish because he said, I'm about to get in trouble, <laughs> and the big boy got it. So he, he's the boss out there. What about the, all right, a hundred-year-old turtle? What do you have to do besides feed it, obviously? Is, is there care, is certain things you have to do, or does Mother Nature kind of take care of these guys? Mother Nature takes care of them guys. Truthfully, other than that, we feed them. That's it. Then we move them in and out when it gets cold. One winter, I didn't move them out about 10 years ago. I left them outside. I mean, I didn't move them in. And I'll never do it again because it scared me. We had a super freeze that year. Missed school for two weeks. That's back when I was teaching and coaching. School was out for two weeks. We had a nice storm here. It was freezing. It's unreal. You couldn't walk in the farm out here from all the down trees. We had to cut a path, you know. But anyway, the pond the gator, the turtles were in froze about five, four or five inches thick. I couldn't break the ice. It's like that for two weeks. The turtles were under there. I thought I was going to lose them for sure. They survived. Wow. But I'm not taking any more chances now. I move them inside. How do you move a turtle inside? You only grab these turtles. You do not grab a turtle, those big turtles, on the side. 
they can turn their head neck to the side and get your arm. You have to grab him right behind the head. His head can only go back so far because his shell. Grab him behind the head and the tail. And big boy, there's two of you grabbing him. What's he weigh? Any idea? He's probably close to 180, 200. He's, he's dead weight. Dead heavy weight. Now it takes two of us. We put him in a wheelbarrow and we take him in or we take him out. The other two we can actually carry if we want to. You know what I mean? They're not, they're about half as big. Do you get to know, I'm going to come back to the gators for a second. Do you get to know them or do they all look alike even to you? You get to know some. Years ago when I was growing up in my 20s and 30s, we had one that got his lower jaw, one got inside his mouth and bit his lower jaw off. So his lower jaw was like, it's like he had his teeth around with nothing there in the middle, right? And his tongue drug when he walked. The only way you could feed it, he couldn't get food. He'd go up on the fence a little bit and open his mouth, you'd drop it in his throat. That's how you fed him. Of course, we called him Jawless, you know, that certain ones get names. I'll tell you who names my gators, my summer help. The kids that help me inside and let you hold a gator in the summer, they learn them because they're wearing them every day, you know. And like a girl was here today that helps me, a fur, she's a furrier now. She takes care of my hoofed animals, you know. She was doing their hoofs today. And uh, she had one named Buddy. She named it when she worked for me five summers ago. And his name was Buddy. Well, Buddy's done grown up out of that little pen where you feed. Now he's back there in one of those other pens. And she was here last week. We moved gators, and she wants she held Buddy again. Had her picture made with Buddy, but she goes, "Buddy's getting too big. I'm gonna have to get me another one." But my summer help does name some of them. Truthfully, I don't. I just they're gators, unless one's really different. We got one out there named Crook. You couldn't tell it today because he's in the water, but he was born with a crook. He's like he can't bend his neck. I didn't think he'd ever make it. I guess where I'm going with that, do they? Do gators have personalities, or are they all pretty much the same? They're not all the same. Some are more aggressive than others. They really are. I mean, I've got one in the big pond. I call him Yella because he's a little lighter in color, a little yellowish. And I've got to know where he's at. He's, he, when he's hungry and he gets up to me, he keeps coming till you get his mouth. If you miss his mouth, he's coming. And he's really the only one like that. I mean, and you do have some more aggressive than others. You do. What happens, it's a sad, but what happens when a gator passes? We own the land behind, about nine acres behind the farm here. And a thousand years from now, they do some excavating here. They're going to think there's a prehistoric gator farm here. We've buried a lot of alligators in my time back there. That's what we do with them. We used to take them to the pound. They used to incinerate, you know, different animals, but they quit doing that. So now we just, we bury them. Come back to the monkeys because you talked about how some of them, and I don't remember which particular monkey, but they'll, some of them are more friendly. than. How does a monkey tell you it wants to be handled? The key is getting them when they're babies. If we get them when they're babies, we handle them when they're babies, and they're fine. The two vervets in there, we got them about two years ago. They were already about six years old. They didn't know us from Adam. They've tamed down a lot, but they were going, they're never going to let us touch them. And pet them, okay? They'll take food from us and get right up to us, but they don't want us putting their hand on them. You act like you're putting your hand on them, he shows you his teeth, okay? I mean, he's telling you to back off. Now, what's a vervet? Vervet is a type of monkey, and they just, uh, they originated, I can't remember right now where they originated from. It's a vervet. It's just a, t a different type of monkey. 
Just like we have a gunan, Missy's a gunan by herself over there. She wants you to rub. We rub on her every day. And if we had more time, she would sit there and let you rub on her eight hours. She loves it. Then the ringtail lemur, she is, she loved, these two had mates, but they're, they're both about 30 something years old and their mates have passed away. And you just can't go get another monkey and bring it in there that's young and feisty because they may kill it. So you just, you gotta, you know, we can't you have to deal with it like it is. You just have one by itself. I don't like having animals by themselves, but their mates passed away. The ringtail lemur, she's now, she likes for us, you know what I mean? You can get right next to her and just, just slowly, slowly rub on her. And she's getting better and better. Before long, we'll be able to hold her. The, the female that likes to be rubbed, will she, will she climb on you? If you walk in there, will she jump up on your shoulder or something like that? Not so much of that, but she's going to come get right next to you. She won't jump on you, but she's going to just come right next to you and just lean her head saying, you go pet me, aren't you? But she's, to move them in and out, the, I can just put a little carrying cage in there. She's, they know, the lemur and her know the routine. I put a little carrying cage in there. They go in, I shut the door, I move them outside. Okay? Well, the vervets aren't like that. Moving them inside, I put a carry in there, and I put their food inside it. I've got a rope tied to the door. When they go in there and get their food, I shut the carrier, then I go in there and move them. That's how I have to do them, because they will not go in there, you know, just on their own. Is that something that happens daily? How often do you, do you move the monkeys? I move the monkeys like the gators. The monkeys move in during the winter. Then about uh, middle of April or so, they'll move out. So the gators, if I heard you right, pretty much with the help of Mother Nature, take care of themselves outside of the feeding. But you've got other, the, the monkeys and the wolves, I mean, they, they must require some kind of medical help. Oh, yes. I've got a vet, Mr. David Smith, here in Hot Springs. He is good. He is so good. I can call him, and he loves he loves animals. I mean, you know, of course, he'd be a vet, you better. But he, he, goes, he goes beyond the call for me. He does such a good job. Just like I had a gator. In the big pond last year, the big, the biggest one in there grabbed another one that was about nine foot long, grabbed his front leg, spun and ripped it off, his front. Well, it's bleeding like crazy, about at the elbows where he ripped it off, okay? At the elbow, the joint. And he's bleeding like crazy. I called Dave. I said, Dave, I got Gator up here, got his arm bit off. He says, you want me to try to sew it up? I said, yeah. He said, okay, I'll be up here after work today. So I get it. We move it in the building, you know, and I get it down, tape his mouth up shut. We got him on the table, holding him down, and he gives him a shot, puts him out. He goes in there and he cut it off clean. Then he pulled the skin over, sewed it all back up. And this was when they were outside. We left him inside till he healed. I thought he was dead. I did. I told my wife, I said, man, the gator didn't make it that we did surgery on. Because I went back there and I was looking at him, you know. But it, I didn't realize it took him so long to take, come out of that anesthesia. Okay. Well, then me and my, is actually my wife's brother was here with me one day working. We had him working some for us. And we're in there, we're moving it to go bury it. And I grab it by the tail and I'm trying to pull it. He goes, Andy was his name. Andy said, Jamie, I don't think he's dead. I said, yeah, he's dead. His eyes are blinking. I go, what? About that time, I notice he's blinking his eyes. An hour later, I go back in there and I'm going to try. Oh, he's chomping at the bits. He's done fired up now. We couldn't hardly get him out of there. He's trying to attack us. You know, finally we got him and got him out and put him in there, but he's, he's still out there now. What's the difference between, in reactions, between children and their parents when they see alligators? Uh, 
a lot of kids love gators nowadays. I guess from the gator shows you see on TV, you know. But at first, when they go in there to hold a gator, most people, a lot of people are a little scared of it. They don't, at first, they don't want to do it, but we, they see us holding it and they see a little kid holding it. Just about everybody that comes through will hold a gator before they leave or at least touch it. You have some that won't, you know. And it, it's all different. You have a kid coming here that's five years old, a little boy. I, I get to hold an alligator, you know, and they, oh, I want to hold an alligator. Yeah. Then they go in there and they won't hold it. Then you got one come in. Says he's a little scared of gators, you know. I said, oh, he'll be okay. And he's out there just holding it like crazy. See, you never know what kids are going to do from one moment to the next. Truth, truth be told, you had to convince me to hold the gator. I wasn't all that up on the idea. So but once I, I was surprised at how dry it was. I guess I kind of thought he would have a slimier or more more wet body, but he didn't. No, they really they really feel good, especially when you're holding when you're holding the belly and the sides. Yeah. And the side and the belly is what they use to make billfolds and boots and all that out of. The back they don't use. It's too rough. I mean, in farms down in Louisiana, they raise them in hothouses like you raise chickens. That's where we have all our little alligator heads. We sell alligator paws, alligator everything we sell in there. We get from them. We don't do that with ours. But uh, they don't waste anything. Whatever they can't sell or the meat or the hide, they ground up and feed to the gators. I mean, they literally waste nothing. And uh, they raise them in hothouses like you raise chickens for their meat and their hides. Now, the big gator heads we got for sale out there, we got some out there big gator heads for sale those are from those shows where you see them go out and catch them and stuff and you know shoot them and the stuff like that but uh that's a big seller for us gator heads i am are you ever tempted to open a second business with gators for shoes and purses we've thought about doing that but the expense of gator purses and boots and stuff is so high for us to get a decent inventory, we'd bid out so much money, we don't know if we get our money back quick enough. Yes, they would sell some, but I don't know if enough would sell. You know what I mean? Years ago, they used to sell alligator purses here. And before you leave, I'll show you some in there that we used to sell. I mean, back in the 40s, 30s and 40s. But uh, we got out of that probably 30, 40 years ago because they didn't sell very often. And the expense up front was real high. And then when we were walking around, um, I overheard you talking about game and fish and you're, you're telling me that you get visitors from game and fish and from the usda so you're pretty regulated yes we're regulated and, and and that's a good thing and we're in good terms with both of them you know usda came two weeks ago i think it was and uh had a great report and they find something they want to do a little you know let's change a little bit uh and we do it you know but they've never been we've got a good relationship with both of them but i've got a, it used to be a monthly report i have to send into the game and fish they just made it uh, quarterly this year. So every three months, I've got a form I send out how many animals we have, sheep, everything, how many gators, everything. Like when one dies, I write down when it dies. And then I fill in that report. i got to write down if it died. Or if I bought some, i got to write down I added, whatever, you know. But So they, they keep up with it. And uh, we're, we're in good with the Game and Fish, and we're in good with USDA. There's a guy that works there that we're really good friends with. And it's their job to come in. If they see something needs to be done, we do it. It's no problem. And they know we're going to do it, so we have no problem there. So it, that's all about animal welfare. That's about animal welfare. And we've got nothing but high marks because they told us, we can tell you lock your animals. You know, it's not just, let's get what get a thousand different things in here and make money on them. It's whatever we get, we're going to take care of. You know, it's not so much the numbers. It's having things that people enjoy looking at and they know they're taken care of. Is there another species that you'd like to get? I don't mean gators or prehistoric or uh, if you could get something else, what would it be? 
Right now, we're possibly looking at getting some alpacas. Alpacas. You know, they're supposed to be a good bread-eating, friendly, you know, deal. And I, we've also looked at getting, they're called the baby kangaroos, the small ones, the miniature ones. I can't remember what they're called. There's a name for them now. I forgot about it. But something like that, because they like to eat bread too. We want something, you know, that people can still interact with feeding. With the exception when you were a little boy and the six-incher that you took over to the creek and got away, have you ever had a gator get away? We used to have a place back here where a gator could go up. The water runs under into that creek. You know, this creek runs right through here, too. It's just under the ground. And we had a gator that kept that could climb a fence. This is about a four-foot gator that would climb a fence. We'd find him out, climb the fence. Well, finally, we put wire that up that went like that. It would be hard for him to climb, okay? We got out again. Well, we get a call from a guy that was brush hogging up here, brush hogging. That brush hog and have you say it? Anyway, he's cutting some field up here, and uh, he said, "I think I found one of your gators." I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I cut its head off." Is in the field anyway? Is that six foot gator? Then one time at two in the morning, of course the game, the police here have our phone number in case something goes on up here, right? It's two in the morning. My wife, I get my phone rings. I answer it. This is the police. We're up here at the gator farm in the front. You got a gator out. About a three foot gators in front of the farm. Anyway, there's this hole we found where they were getting out. And this was the climber. And this is before the climber got killed, okay? So we come up here. It's sort of funny. There's two police cars with the lights on this gator about two and a half foot long. Got lights on it. Well, my wife, I go up there. My wife's been around gators too since we've been married, you know. And she's she's good around them. She goes up there and grabs its tail. And it's go, you grab its tail and run your head up his head. And she, before she could run his head up his head, swung around and got her foot bitter. I mean, it got her, bit her pretty good. She's bleeding a little bit because it's so funny. Those policemen goes, that's why I told you we weren't going to mess with that gator. You see what he just did? Of course, then my wife grabbed it, you know, and we went and put it up. But since when that happened and the one got, the same one got out and it got run over, you know, and got its head amputated off, we, uh, we fixed this spot over here and there's, they can't get out of the farm now. So that shouldn't happen anymore. So it, it's been a while. It's been a long time. And then, and then come back to the wolves because I don't want to. I, I want to. They're like big dogs, and they they were happy to see you when we walked back. There. Yeah, we we met in every morning. We get out there and we play with them. You know, when we're feeding, cleaning up and stuff, and we have interaction. And then we feed them in the afternoon. We get out there and play with them. And I will in the winter time before I had a bad knee. I can't jog anymore. I'd put them on a choke leash and we'd jog up this uh, West Mountain. We jogged up the deal, and if they ever saw a deer. I used to wonder how dogs could pull sleds. I wonder no more. Because once I took them out, we on the field back here. We were up in the field just taking them out for a walk, you know. And a deer was out in the field that started going across the field. And I'm buried up, and they're dragging me to the choke chain finally, you know, just for their protection. You know what I mean? It, it choked them down a little bit where they stopped. If I had a regular collar on them, they'd have drugged me across the field. I mean... After that, I said, I can understand how a dog can pull a sled because they're strong. Will they, do they play with you beyond your petting them? Do the oh, yeah. wolves play with you? We do. We, we play chase. Tinkerbell, I like like I'm going to get her, and I chase her, and she'll run, and she'll dart and dart. White Hawk's a little older, and he's not as much as playful as Tinkerbell is. Tinkerbell's the uh, timber wolf. White Hawk's the white one. But uh, they're both friendly. And we do. We put 
we you know we put different things in there for them to play with toys and stuff. They will play with them. Do you have a favorite animal here? Your personal favorite that you, if you were here by yourself and you were going to hang out with this I one animal, in the mountain lion pen. Those are my two favorites. But I can't go in the mountain lion pen anymore because last time I went in there, I had my brother Jerry here with me. He had the water hose. I said, Jerry, I'm going in there to play with it just in case she gets too excited. Spray her. Well, I'm going in there and I'm petting her and I'm playing with her. Then she jumps on me and pins me down. And I'm pinned down. And Jerry sprayed her and she jumps off. She was playing. But, you know, I couldn't move. She was on top of me. She got me down. And after that, I said, I don't need to do that because she just, she play bites too, but why does she bites too hard? You know what I mean? So now I just play through, with her through the bop. You saw me through the fence. I can still rub all over, you know, stuff like that. Last question, and that is the cat, as I recall from when you were showing me around, right next to the wolves, do they seem to get along okay? Do they talk to each other through the fence? I mean, what, what's that about? When we first, that new pin with the bars, you see how that's different than the other pin? I added that one to give them ground to get on instead of just concrete. Well, I added that right to the wolf pen. When I first added that, oh my gosh, the wolves and the mountain lion were just going after, just through the fence, running back and forth for hours, you know, wanting to get after each other. Now you can see they'll get over there, but it's not. I mean, it was like for hours. I thought, like the mountain lion did it so much, she just oh, laid over one day, you know, just so tired. But now that when we first enlarged that pen and got them close to each other, they were for a how, couple of days. How long have the mountain lion and the wolves known each other? The mount, that mountain lion's known them for three years. We've had that mountain lion for three years. We've had the wolves for about uh, 12, 13 years. How do you end up getting wolves? I said that other question would be my last yeah. one, but how do you end up getting wolves? We just you know, had a lady in northern Arkansas. My dad, was, I think she came through the farm talking about, man, we, I have wolves. You need wolves up here. This would be good for you. I said, yeah, it might be good. So we got White Hawk from her and Tinkerbell. And uh, they're both 95% wolf. And we got papers on it tell you, you know, they're this, this, that, and other, you know. But uh, that's how he got them, a lady coming through the farm. And she's out of business now because these are getting old. I mean, they are. They're 13 going on 14. And that's old for wolves. It's pretty is for big animals like that. But they can live to be 17 or 18. Like White Hawk's on... He's on medicine right now. I got a little bag up there for arthritis, okay? His joints and stuff. Because for a while, about a year ago, he couldn't, wouldn't hardly get up. Since we got him on that, he's doing good. It's just joint medicine, you know? And we give it to him every day. Like I say, my vet, I said, man, my White Hawk's not doing good. And I put White Hawk in my van, took him to the vet because he couldn't come up here that day. He was real busy. I said, I really need you to see her. He said, can you bring him down? I said, I can't get there after work. I said, it's in the morning. He wasn't doing good. I said, I'll bring him to y'all. Can you see him? Then? Yeah. So I took him down there, me and my wife, you know, and put him in there. They saw him, did this, that, and other, did blood work and did all this stuff. Then said, uh, he's just, she's getting old in the joints. You can get, got this joint. It really helped him. As we wrap up, these are pets for you, aren't they? They're pets to us. They really are. To wrap up this portion of the podcast, a little history the Arkansas Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo started back in 1902. Jamie's grandfather, Elmer Bridges, bought it in 1947. 
His father and mother took over in 1965, and Jamie, as you heard, was already working there and became manager when his parents passed away. My thanks to Jamie for his time, the tour, and my chance to hold an alligator. Jamie loves it. For me, not likely to become a hobby. But as I mentioned, it was much softer and drier than I thought it would be, and now I can just check that off my bucket list. The farm and petting zoo are out Whittington Avenue. Just take Whittington West from the fountain at the north end of Central Avenue and you're sure to find it. But remember, the gators and many other animals are inside for the winter and a lot less active right now. So a lot of people prefer spring and summer. Well, pleased to be here with my colleague from down the hall from 105.9 KLAZ. I'm with Jennifer Bailey. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, howdy doody. This is the time we reach the use-by date of our podcast. So we're going to talk about some things that are coming up over the next month or so. So if you're listening to this podcast from December on, you can go ahead and forward to your next podcast because all of this material will be dated by December. It's like time travel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, not exactly. Kind of. Uh, you may remember, Jennifer, from our previous podcast, the story of Mrs. Verna Garvin out of Garvin Gardens. Well, she's portrayed in character by Susan Harper, who was the one on the podcast as Mrs. Garvin. On November 12th, 3 o'clock, you can enjoy a traditional tea with Susan, a.k.a. Mrs. Garvin, at the gardens. It includes a walking tour. Call Garvin Gardens for more information. On November 15th through the 17th, the new Good Run Mountain Bike Festival will be at the Northwoods, combines an expo with a group ride through downtown, and the annual Attila the Hun Mountain Bike Race. So, you ask, who is Good Run? Who is Good Run? A good one. Good Run is a Germanic heroic legend, a warrior, a Viking, wife to Attila the Hun, and later, defeater of the Huns. Attila probably shouldn't have ticked her off. More information by calling Tracy Berry at 501-321-2027. Guessing when she told him to vacuum, he vacuumed. <laughs> Just guessing. I wonder if she if she called him sugar or maybe Hun. <laughs> hey, Hun, that's, maybe that's where you got the nickname. Could very well be. You don't know. I don't. Also on the 16th, the Spa Running Festival. Runners and walkers of all levels and ages are welcome. There's a 5K and a 10K. The 5K is a fast five with a flat course. Information at, and this is all one word, sparunningfestival.com. Hashtag once again, not for me. (laughs) Hashtag not going to happen. Also, November 15th and 16th, be at the Convention Center if you are a lover of classic cars. Mm. It's a classic car auction open to the public, and you can buy or sell. There's more information online, and this is all one word as well. It's the letter J, markclassicauctions.com. Mark is spelled with a K, so jmarkclassicauctions.com. Ten bucks to get in. Everything from muscle cars to antiques to street rods, trucks, all sorts of great things to see. If you love old classic cars. Fun. Now here's something else fun. A great tasting event. Thursday, November 21st. It's the 20th annual Taste of the Holidays at Mid-America Museum. Now this is a fundraiser for them with food and beverages from all over town. One of my favorite events 
of the year, mainly because it involves a ton of food and drinks. Tickets are only 85 bucks in advance. Hot Springs Bathhouse Dinner Theater always has a variety of shows, but with the holidays approaching, let us put a couple of specific shows up on your radar. They'll do the Home for the Holidays musical special that they do, and on other nights, another holiday favorite, A Christmas Carol. That's the Dickens thing. You know, who was a little kid in that? Was it Timmy? I think that's right. Was it Timmy? Oh, yeah, it was Tiny Tim. Okay. Anyway, if you want tickets, more information, just call the Hot Springs Bathhouse Theater for reservations and ticket prices. And this should definitely be on your holiday don't miss list, especially if you have friends or family coming to town. Starting November 23rd, they start the Holiday Lights at Garvin Gardens. That runs through the end of the year. It draws a huge crowd, millions. I don't know exactly how many lights they put up. I'm just going to say millions because there's just an absolute ton of them. I think you're right. I think it's an excess of a million. I don't remember, but it's a bunch. And they change it up every year. It's absolutely beautiful. Here's a little tip, though. Buy tickets in advance on the Garvin Gardens website. You'll thank us. They do sell out. Do you like chili? Love chili. Monday, November 25th, the annual downtown chili cook-off Named for longtime downtown businessman and advocate Tom Daniel. It's only five bucks. You can sample chili from over 30 competitors. By the way, U.S. Stations has a team in the chili cook-off this year. This is a BYOT event. BYOT? Bring your own Tums. (laughs) Perfection. (laughs) I'm on it. So that's a wrap on this episode of Hot Springs This Week. Let me thank a few people. I want to thank you for listening, of course. I want to thank Jennifer Bailey, my colleague from down the hall at 105.9 KLAZ. And I want to thank everyone at the Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo here in Hot Springs. It really is something to see. Who'd have thought there are that many alligators? By the way, if the Alligator Farm sounds familiar from a previous episode, you'll remember our baseball episode where they told us about Babe Ruth's 500-foot home run. That was back during spring training, and it's in a previous episode you can go back and find. How do they know it? Well, they know where the home plate is, and they were able to measure to one of the ponds in the alligator farm because that's where the home run landed. So that ties this episode to our baseball episode. Again, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at HS This Week, on Facebook. Love to hear from you with your suggestions for future guests, your comments, your reviews. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy any time you get to spend here in Hot Springs. Hot Springs This Week is a presentation of KZNG Talk Radio, right here in America's First Resort. Resort.